Why are spy movies still popular, or are they? And what has influenced this genre? Superheroes? Oh, today we're going to tell the story of spy movies and superheroes. Yeah, they are connected. Netflix has just released their first report giving us a view into what their customers are watching. According to the report, the spy series The Night Agent Season 1 was the most watched show on Netflix from January to June 2023. The Arnold Schwarzenegger series FUBAR Season 1 came in at number 10. So, what is it about spy movies and shows that still make them so popular? Oh, we're going to look at spy movies and James Bond in particular and try to figure out why and what has influenced the genre most. Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Go ahead and subscribe to our show right now. Hit that button. Join us as we decode why spy movies are still popular and what is the competition. Let's go. So, Dan, before we begin, I want to give a big shout out to several of our Facebook members who gave us great feedback from some of our recent podcast episodes and YouTube videos. Yeah, great. You know, remember, our show is called Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, both in your podcast app and on YouTube. So we want to give a shout out to Jerry McDonald, Graham Thubrin, Pietro Rossi, Enrico Tang, and Lorenzo Granger. They all gave us great feedback on different episodes, whether it was the most attention-grabbing episodes for James Bond, the Sean Connery version, the From Russia with Love, What Makes It So Good episode, or What Makes GoldenEye a standout Bond movie. It's really nice to get that feedback from our listeners. So thank you guys very, very much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep it coming. So All right. We, so, Dan, when we were talking about doing this one, I guess the first question that I, I asked is, what is it about spy movies and shows that makes them so popular? Yeah, here, here's the thing. Spy movies have been around since the 1930s, and they're still making them. And we just saw the Netflix uh, information and stats. So why are they still popular? I think one of the reasons that they are is because of the intrigue and suspense that they create. There are other movies that do that kind of thing, too. But spy movies often involve intricate plots, espionage, and covert operations, creating this sense of intrigue and suspense, which is great. The combination of secret missions, hidden agendas, unexpected twists, that keeps audiences engaged and entertained. Let's go back to the 1930s when the first real spy movies began. The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1934, The 39 Steps in 1935, Secret Agent in 1936. I mean, wow, they've been doing this for a long time and we're still doing it. That's pretty cool. It, it is because those movies back then in the 30s, Many of the ideas, especially around how they set up the intrigue and suspense in spy movies, started with these classics. Yeah. And it's brought forward and is used still today. So whether it was the reluctant spy thing like Bob Lawrence in the original The Man Who Knew Too Much, mm -hmm. or Richard Haney in The 39 Steps, or if it was an actual spy like this in The Secret Agent, the plots include many twists and turns, and these spies, or reluctant spies in, in some cases, have to figure out what's happening through these twists and turns. And today, they do the same thing in spy movies. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. Intrigue and suspense has added, is the furry first element, I think, that keeps them going. I think another element, the second element, would be action and thrills. I mean, who doesn't love action, 
movies and movies that are going to thrill you. There are specific thriller movies. We're not talking about horror movies and stuff. Spy movies, as we know, are known for their action sequences, including intense chases, stupendous stunts, and high-stake fights, detailed sets, all getting the adrenaline flowing. They've become... Stupendous stunts. Now that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they are stupendous. <laughs> I mean, they've all become, to be honest, more lately anyway more action adventure movies than spy and espionage movies look at the differences between from russia with love versus mission impossible dead reckoning i mean it's night and day differences in terms of focus and deliverables yet they're still going and action and thrills i think are now adding depth to the movies and more intrigue in terms of getting people involved in watching these movies which you is know, one this, of the reasons they still the, keep going. This reason here of action and thrills, though, yeah, yeah, has me a little bit perplexed. Maybe that's not the right word. Maybe uh, <laughs> conflicted is a better word. Because okay. I, I think that many of today's spy movies have become too much action and not enough espionage. Yeah. I want to see an if I want to see an action flick, I'll just go watch a superhero movie, and I would never do that. Right. Well, so I like to, some of the action in the movies, yeah. but I don't like it where it's all action. So it isn't just Bond and Mission Impossible and Jason Bourne, no. right? So some of the newer movies with action include things like the that Netflix series Obliterated, Citadel, Patan, Operation Fortune, Red Notice, Agent, and Kandahar. I mean, these are all examples of action spy movies that we've reviewed that have a spy element to it. Yeah. But I prefer spy movies that are more espionage than all action all the time. Yeah, no, I and, agree. And so if I think about the, one of the, one of the movies we reviewed was the, uh, the movie, all the, all the old knives. Ah, that was good. Yeah. So that was what, that was yeah. the 2022 Amazon prime movie, all the old knives, the 2018 movie, Rossi. I've mentioned it multiple times yeah. because I just think it's a really good espionage movie. Or even if you go all the way back to 1965 with the classics, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, those are espionage movies that have some action to them where the action augments the espionage versus some of these newer movies where the espionage is almost an afterthought. It's an oh, action yeah, yeah. movie with some espionage thrown in. Yeah, The so, Spy Who Came In From The Cold. I mean, that's that's about uh, – cold is a good word for that movie because yeah. – uh, I mean, it's all espionage stuff. Yeah. All right. So, well, that's so, good, so, you're, so you're saying action and thrills is important, and I think they're important, but I think that we've gone too far with them in many cases. Yeah, we're saying that this is what sells now, right? And this is why they're still making spy movies, because they're trying to make movies that people go spend money on. One okay, way or another. There's the no. sales guy talking, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they got to make money at they it. got to make and money. The money has gone up. As they've added more of these action sequences. I just, Absolutely. My yeah. personal bias is I'd like to see more things like All the Old Knives where there isn't as much action. I get it. Me too. All right. The third reason I think is escapism. I mean, we all love to escape this crazy world we live in sometimes. And spy movies offer a great escape, letting us viewers immerse ourselves totally in a world of intrigue love beautiful locations glamour danger and high level sophistication and of course we have the gadgets and the unrealistic glamorous lifestyle of spies all giving the audience an out from the real world that we all live in 
which generally is nothing like what happens in spy movies, the real world. It's different, but it is a true escape, which is great. Well, and it's interesting to you say that because if you think about the spy who came in from the cold or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, those don't have a lot of escapism in there, which is why they aren't quite as popular as some of these other movies, I think. Especially because, today. Yeah, especially today. And this in, in this escapism, we can see these in both the action-heavy spy movies as well as the espionage-heavy spy movies. So this is one that, that you know, escapism is important to spy movies. Because one of the reasons we go to almost any movie is for some kind of an escape. Yeah. So I think this escapism is something we get in both action-heavy spy movies as well as espionage-heavy spy movies. Yeah. I think that non-spy movies miss out on some form of the escapism because there's things you can do in a spy movie that you wouldn't do in most other types of movies. Yeah, and we're, we're going to find out, though, in a little bit when we talk about superheroes that, um, yeah, you know, they, they, they're in on that. They're in on that escapism. And we're going to see how one influences the other. All right. The fourth reason, I think, is that spy movies are still popular is it's the international scope and appeal that they bring to the audience. Spy movies often have a global reach, with the spies globetrotting across the world, dealing with international and sometimes global threats. This global reach appeals to a broader audience, necessarily, because it's global, engaging across multiple countries, and it adds additional layers to our spy movie layer cake. More diversity in action. Wait, was that a Daniel Craig reference? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, we talked about layers in another podcast episode. Remember that different layers. I love a layer cake concept of these movies because you're adding on more depth and more richness and more flavor. There you go. All right. So we, we, see got, a lot- this, we got this 12 layer cake for Thanksgiving. That was phenomenal. Oh, that, that sounds good. <laughs> it was. All right. More diversity in action and scenes and a deeper richness to the storytelling and the unfolding of the plot line is a result of this international scope and appeal. Look at the recent theatrical releases from No Time to Die a couple of years ago to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning in 2023. They yeah, have global, global reach. Yeah, let, let's let's look at some better movies here, like Jason Bourne, Red Notice, Baton, Citadel. <laughs> and those make extensive use of globetrotting as well. And we've talked about in the past how important the globetrotting is, especially when you go back to the beginning of Bond, yep. when people didn't travel the globe, you know, the human population does a lot more travel now than they did back then. Oh yeah. Some of these places were exotic and they have to come up with even more remote locations now to add more of the, the, um, what's the word I want? Intrigue. Yeah. It's add more of the intrigue to, to the movie. It's, you can't just go to London every time yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, or to Tokyo or something like that because enough people have been there now. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's good. Yeah. I, I think it does. All right. So let's look at another reason, the sixth reason. I think a sixth reason is the character prototypes or archetypes that are delivered to us via these movies. Archetypes? Yeah, archetypes. Wow, you got the language going today. I call them character prototypes then. All right. (laughs) Epic spy characters like James Bond, Jason Bourne, and Ethan Hunt have become identifiable cultural archetypes. That means they show us on screen characteristics or traits that we all wish we had. Toughness and the ability to deal with all kinds of situations, charisma, consistent resourcefulness, ability to bounce back and be resilient, which makes these characters super compelling. They make them memorable. 
and put them on a pedestal that we'd all like to be on for all of us watching. I mean, look at James Bond. When James Bond launched in 1962 with Dr. No, every man watching wanted to be James Bond. And every woman in the real world wished that these men who wanted to be James Bond could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you think about it, the, there's the classic James Bond pose everybody makes when they go to a filming yeah. location or something. It's like, we want to be Bond. <laughs> yeah, we want to be Bond. I mean, this is powerful in keeping the interest high. So are spy movies still doing that? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, they. I think I, think I agree with you there. Yeah. Right now, for me, because I'm a geek, the seventh one we should talk about is the technological mystique that these movies give us. Yeah. I mean, spy movies are constantly featuring not only cutting-edge technology of the day, but futuristic technology gadgets, including the ability to hack into just about any secure system in, in three seconds, and state-of-the-art and beyond, beyond belief surveillance and communications. They've always got their little earbuds in. They can just talk. Yeah, it doesn't matter anywhere. where they are, and they're heard. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Yeah. But those are extreme examples. But then you get the incorporation of some of these present and future technologies, adding a more modern and more relevant element to the storytelling. Yeah. Think about the DB5 when they brought that out, mm -hmm. right? There was stuff that, okay, you never saw in a car before, but there was stuff that was believable in the way that some of those gadgets worked. And so even though many times the story components are the same, the global virus threats, stolen nuclear weapons, AI, you know, and more, I mean, I think these technological advancements or the mystique around some technology can add to the escapism that I think we feel when we watch these spy movies. And so I, I think that, you know, the, the use of technology here and some of it being stuff that you don't quite know, or maybe yeah. it's a term you've heard like AI, but you don't really know what it means. I think yeah. heightens, heightens these movies and yeah, works I, I well that, in spy movies. Yeah. That kind of blend of stuff you do know, know about and stuff you don't know about. Like when the laser was first shown in Goldfinger, I mean, you know, that, that was, that was something that people are going, Oh my God, what is this thing? Cause most people didn't know what the heck that was. So it was really somebody with a torch underneath the table. Well, yeah, in reality, <laughs> what I'm saying. You know, exactly what you're talking about here is that this blend of known and unknown is what makes it in intriguing. All yeah. right. All right, let's look at the political intrigue stuff. All right, now our, our reason number eight, I think that this is still going on, spy movies are still doing well, is the political intrigue and current world relevance that they are trying to bring to the screen. I'm saying trying because sometimes they don't. Spy movies are often influenced by real world things yeah then we have a couple episodes that we've done on real world influences on spy movies if you want to kind of get a little more background on what we're talking about here yeah those, those are two great fun episodes because it is amazing how many how many things in the real world work their way in the spy movies so check those out all right like okay again what they do is they incorporate current political tensions threats and global issues that help shape a fictionalized or an exaggerated version of a plot line that ties the audience into the real world concerns and to this new spy movie. So it enhances the appeal of spy movies to current and politically aware audiences. So they're not necessarily political, you know, word for word, but they're using the politics of the, of the world and the situations in the world now to 
bring into these movies. And again, it keeps people interested and it's something new. Well, and I think, I think if you go back to the foundation of spy movies, a lot of them started out when you had war stuff. So there was espionage around war stuff. Then that went away and we got the cold war. And so the spy movies were about the cold war. Now, I don't know if the cold war is back yet or not. It's getting close, I think, but the, the, they're having to come up with some other ways to try to find the political stuff, because a lot of that political stuff they were banking on is gone. So it's going to be interesting to me how they evolve this as the political structure changes. Yeah, and their biggest non-political opponent, Spectre, in the Bond movies. Of course, you know, uh, no time to die. I took care of that. All right, so let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. Okay, I'm going to say it. Purvis and Wade, please, no more. <laughs> All right, let's look at another reason, a ninth reason. The aesthetic appeal and lifestyles. I mean, again, we have seen it from the first Bond movie through current releases. Spy movies showcase a style and sophistication that includes the fashion of the characters, everything from tuxedos to sweaters and watches to sophisticated gadgets and vehicles. Product placement has been part of the movie industry for a long time now. And so we see more and more of the integration of fashion into the movies, including which champagne, which scotch, which rum is featured, and which ones we should drink. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and just a couple of examples of this is that Perrier truck getting smashed by the tank in Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah. That was, they couldn't work out a deal with Pepsi. That was supposed to be a Pepsi truck. So Pepsi okay. lost out on that advertising. Yeah. And the, See, we're talking about it now. Exactly. Or the off-and-present Stolichnaya vodka, right, in many of the yeah. Bond movies. It's always there. A lot of times the label's turned a little bit, but you know it's Stoli. Right. Or the Avis rental car thing in Tomorrow Never Dies. The product placement is there. Sometimes it's in your face like that. Yeah. And other times it's a little more subtle, like he just happens to be wearing whatever watch it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, car- and cars. Cars have always been a part of the style, popularized, of course, by the DB5 and Goldfinger. These are all. Hey, Dan, that's why yeah. I bought your D. That's why I bought your Z3 from you. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. That was a great, it's a great car. So all, all of these aesthetics appeal to the genre's popularity, and believably so. We all see that stuff and want it or think, wow, wouldn't that be cool if I had that or wore that or drank that? I mean, that's what they do. I first started drinking Bollinger RD Champagne because of Bond. Yeah, and I saw it in a Bond movie. And then so Bollinger, if you kept, want to sponsor us, let us know. Yeah, and, and I kept <laughs> and I kept drinking it because I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best reason. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Another reason the tradition and legacy, the trick is engaging the old audiences who love classics by I mean movies. old like you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Older. <laughs> they grew up with James Bond and so on. But the trick is to still engage new audiences with updated stories action and adventure this is not easy to do within the same franchise that's the thing i'm saying within the same franchise because bond has struggled with this from 1962 to now but they've done it successfully for the most part but it's hard to balance and blend tradition and legacy with something new and blending the old and the new but that's what will keep it going and that's what Mission Impossible's been trying to do, and all these Netflix uh, specials and so on, obliterate. They're all trying to build on the new audiences. 
Yeah, and I and I think that goes back to the point, or your second point, of action and thrills. Mm, yeah. Because as the young as and because I'm older, right, a younger audience tends to go more for the action. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the action part of this matters. And I also think the line between this true espionage story and action slash adventure focus has changed, right? Because a younger audience tends to like more of these action things. And it will continue to change. Yeah, I think so. And that's why, you know, like if you look at Mission Impossible, that's more action than a spy story where Bond tries to be more of a spy story and and a little bit less action than Mission Impossible. Yeah. Like I said, it's going to continue to change because they want to produce movies that people will go spend money on. And so it's, it is, it's movie is almost like fashion, just the stuff we've just been talking about. It's also almost a fashion element to it because it's like, Hey, I'm going to respond to what people are going to buy, or I'm going to create things that I think people want to buy. So this is what they do. And they're, they're, they're polls and everything else. They're, they're all, these are all tested (laughs) way ahead of time with these producers. They know what they're going to do next. Yeah, but I I, I think it's Ian, I think. (laughs) <laughs> Except, yeah, yeah, may not know. But I think, like you said here, you called it tradition and legacy. Yeah. Right? Because we're talking right now about all this action stuff and stuff they're adding in here. Tough. But you've got to still put the stuff in there for the older spy movie fan. So you're not just focused on, yeah. the, on the younger generation. It's not easy to do. It's not mm-hmm. easy to do. I mean, multiple franchises help draw in new audiences and streaming does as well with features like the six-part series, The Ipocris File with Joe Cole, and now Citadel, Obliterated, Red Notice, Kingsman, the upcoming Argyle, and more. I mean, these series are trying to become the next Bond or Mission Impossible franchise, and they do it by using the spy movie formula, but they have updated it. So this is going to continue. Yeah, and just so you know, Dan, the Argyle is supposed to release February 2nd, 2024. So depending on when you're listening to this, it may have released or not. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Okay, so let's talk about number 11, and that's versatility. Because uh, spy, yeah. spy movies are versatile. And we've talked about this a little bit here, is trying to do this espionage and spy-related stuff and the mm-hmm. action-adventure stuff. But then they also need to put in some comic treatments here. And it's interesting to watch the evolution of these things because one of these things tends to dominate from time to time where something might be more espionage heavy. The next movie might be espionage heavy. And then people going like, yeah, let's get some more adventure in here. And so the producers are constantly trying to figure out how to shape this and how to remain versatile to get people to buy what they're producing, right? To get us to go to the theater or to stream whatever the show is they're putting out. And so this versatility sometimes happens all at the same time from various producers whether it's an espionage thriller or an action thriller or a comic relief spy treatment. And it allows the filmmakers to experiment, offering a wide range of spy movies to cater to different audience preferences at a specific time. If yeah. you look at something like, like Austin Powers, that was perfectly timed with when that movie came out where we needed just a really funny, we needed funny movies and it's to get, so a, funny. Yeah, and to, and to get a, a funny spy movie series there. It was, it was greatly timed. Yeah. 
All right. In summary, spy movies remain popular due to their ability to deliver a potent mix of suspense, action, international intrigue, and stylish escapism. The enduring appeal of iconic characters and the genre's adaptability to contemporary themes contribute to its continued success in the world of cinema. So, All right, so Dan, we talked about why spy movies are still popular but what is it about James Bond that makes James Bond specifically hang in there? Because yeah, that's a good question. For most and, spy and, and, movie fans, James Bond is a really important part of their entertainment viewing. Yeah, it's the largest following in the world. And it's the largest franchise in the world for spy stuff. So let's look at that. Obviously, the number one reason Bond is still around is the iconic character. We call him James Bond. He is iconic. He's epic. He's timeless. And that's what continues to be the character that drives it forward. He's symbolic of cool sophistication, overwhelming charisma, and nonstop action, really. Okay, so, so now you say here that it's because he's an iconic character. But I think another reason why he's still so popular is that he's an adaptable character. Yeah, we look true. at each of the Bond actors brings in a new twist to the way the character is portrayed. Yeah. And I think the adaptability helps. Yeah, absolutely. And the other is, of course, what Harry Saltzman wanted to do in the beginning. High quality productions, just James Bond productions. Now, Mission is Possible certainly is challenging that now, but they have traditionally been tremendously high quality production. Harry Saltzman, one of the original producers, of course, of the Bond movies through EM Productions. Harry once booked circus acts throughout Europe, and because elephants were too costly to transport and feed, they cut them out of the acts, and people stopped going to the circus, and he said, no, when it comes to the Bond movies, we're going to give people what they want, give them their elephants, so they'd spend a lot of money on production. All right. So then I guess another one would be the spy genre appeal itself. Now, Bond helped set that, Yeah. right? But I think the fact that he's still so popular because spy movies and spy entertainment is still so popular and as you said they've got the production values in it that not yes, all that not all movies can afford to do yeah we talked about global reach before with spy movies and especially bond and mission impossible hey james bond set the pace for global reach so that's another reason he's still around and still popular and I, and I think his cultural impact too makes a difference right i mean because and why he's still there because we think of the classic cars we think of the alcohol that he yeah. drinks and how when a yeah. product placement happens in one of these movies, the sales tend to spike. We do. Yeah. He, James Bond has a cultural impact. Yeah. And then another one is nostalgia, of course, for, for those who grew up with James Bond from 1962 to now, you, you know, there's, there's a nostalgia of looking back at the James Bond franchise and seeing how it's grown. You have new generations of people coming through. You talk to anybody, their favorite James Bond is generally who they grew up with. So there is this nostalgia part of Bond that continues to be strong. And of course, the branding. <laughs> uh, Ian Productions and the producers have done a great job of branding the James Bond franchise throughout the decades. Tremendous. And that continues to happen now. So. Absolutely. Now, Dan, we've been talking about why these things are popular. Yeah. But it isn't that you just make a spy movie and you're going to make money. No. Right? no. So we do have to recognize that not all spy movies or series are hits. In no. fact, a recent example of this would be the, the Netflix cartoon Agent Elvis. Okay. I mean, this yeah. was a series about Elvis Presley working as a spy while touring the world. I thought it was hilarious. But okay. it was very quirky. 
Yeah. Right. So it, it, you know, you've got to like quirk for this to work. Now it, they did have it scheduled for a second season, but they've canceled it. And mm-hmm. in the Netflix report, there were 5.5 million viewing hours on this thing, but that still wasn't enough to get that season two to not get canceled as they're, as Netflix is going back and honing their portfolio from a money-making perspective. So That's not true. every not every one of these things is a hit. Well, not everyone is. Bond movies have generally been a hit and have always made money. So this is pretty good. And now the Mission Impossible. We talked about why Bond is popular, legacy and longevity, cultural impact, adaptability, and all that kind of stuff. Mission Impossible is popular really because it's fresh. They're they're bringing action orientation more to the movie, modern appeal, and consistent quality, also like the James Bond franchises. So those two are the biggest ones around, and those are the reasons they're still around and still big, because they're actually doing some of the same things, and then Mission Impossible is taking it beyond and driving it more into the action and modern appeal uh, with new audiences. So that's pretty cool. So Yeah, and I, I think you're right there on, on bringing in Bond and Mission Impossible there. Yeah. But spy movies have to continue to generate interests for these audiences, and it has to get younger audiences to survive. They do. And because of that, I think that's why we get the superhero comparison you, you mentioned at the beginning of this thing. Yeah, you yeah. said that superheroes are a main competitor for the spy movie audience. Now, for me personally, I, I don't really like superhero movies. I just don't get people flying around in costumes. Now, <laughs> someone could say Bond walking into a casino with a tux on is yeah, his costume. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about, you know, oh, I've got a costume on and now I can fly or whatever. That, to me, that doesn't work. But I understand for a lot of people it does. Yeah. So I think you can think of Bond or Ethan Hunt as a type of superhero. Yeah. But they I don't mean, have the, they don't said have the he wasn't character. a superhero, right? But he's not a superhero in the sense of the superhero movies. But we're going to talk about this because I think the superhero movies, <laughs> we're gonna, let's go in it because this is kind of who connects superheroes and the spy franchises. I, I don't think anybody does. We're going to. <laughs> <laughs> because it's true. It's done on me that the blueprint for spy movies came from the beginnings of the superhero. Ah, what? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, wait, that's wait. Right. So you, you're now saying that, uh, explain that to me again. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the blueprint for spy movies came from the original comic books of the 30s. That's what I'm saying. Superheroes have influenced spy movies oh i'll give wow. you that they influenced them i don't know that they created them and you had just beyond i think it's a blueprint watch this compelling characters did we talk about compelling characters yeah compelling characters superheroes are often depicted as larger than life characters with unique abilities compelling backstories and moral dilemmas audiences are drawn to these characters and become emotionally invested in their journeys right heck comic books with superheroes have been around for almost a hundred years the first hero comic book, the honor has to go to Phantom, a mystery man hero type who ushered in the superhero genre. All right, was written by Lee Lee Falk. Th- this is this is from the 30s, right? If you look at what they did, it recounted the adventures of this guy, Kit Walker, who donned a mask and purple outfit to become the Phantom, also known as the Ghost Who Walks. Uh, 
This, of course, reminds us of the Green Hornet, which later came out, another comic book that came out, which was short-lived, and a TV series of the Green Hornet that was short-lived. But the concept is the same, right? Compelling characters, which we just talked about with all the spy movie stuff. All right, so. Okay, so now one of the things you talked about in the spy movie stuff that I think absolutely hits home here with the superhero stuff and with the comic books is escapism. Because you're yeah, definitely, I know. It's you're leaving this world as you yeah. know it when you get into these these superhero movies. All right. Again, look at the, the production of the comic books, the publication of these comic books. I mean, 1930s, Superman, 1938, Batman, 1939, uh, The Comet, 1940, Captain America, Wonder Woman, 1941 all predated anybody writing stuff like uh, like Fleming did. I mean, we had movies in the 30s, spy movies, but the comic books were first, really. <laughs> the point is that esteemed honors are piled on these heroes because they were compelling characters. It's similar to the spy movies and the spy heroes that we've been talking about. Now, your escapism, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I I think the super the, I mean the superhero it's I mean it offers a form of escapism because yeah. you a lot of times move into some fantastical world or you're in this world with somebody with you know superhuman capabilities generally when putting on some goofy costume but um, <laughs> but and they use these generally to confront and overcome formidable challenges. And so the nice thing about this is with the spy movies is the escapism provides a break from the complexities of everyday life. Movies and superhero movies, same thing. Again, the blueprint, superheroes. (laughs) Tell you, it's whatever we talk about here. Yeah. Okay. So let's then talk about what we talked about when we talked about spy movies was the advancements in film technology, right? And technology in general. And for me, this really hit home when... It wasn't on the movie screen, but at Universal Studios, the first time I went on the Spider-Man ride was it because it was a mix of of filming as well as how the the the, the ride was displayed. Sure, but that couldn't have been made doable if you didn't have advancements in how we can do filming with you know ever smaller cameras, the ability yeah. to do the the um, CG work. Right. Yeah. And all of that kind of stuff really gives us a level of escapism that we couldn't get if we didn't have these advancements in film technology. I think the two actually go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Look at the Avatar ride at Disney. Same kind of thing. And now we're seeing it in spy movies here, and you're seeing it in superhero movies. That Pandora that Pandora ride at Disney is awesome. <laughs> yes. I mean, man. All right. Here's another reason that superheroes have influenced spy movies shared universes all right many superhero movies are part of the interconnected cinematic universes where characters and storylines they cross over between films all over the place this shared universe approach popularized by of course marvel studios with the marvel cinematic universe that creates a sense of continuity and encourages fans to follow multiple films within the same narrative framework oh it sounds like a spy <laughs> Ethan Hunt, James Bond, he, and where did that come from? The comic books from the thirties. This is what we're talking about here. And our spy heroes, they take us to the similar universe, right? Same kind of thing. Maybe a smaller one. Maybe I mean there could be parallel universes. I know scientists talk about this kind of stuff, but 
in general, boom, once again, spy movies influenced by the superheroes. And these superhero movies influenced by the original comic books. So there. Yeah, so when you t- <laughs> when you talk about this this shared universes thing, yeah. It's really the explosion of this happened in the movie side of the house with the MCU. Then DC Extended Universe came in. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some people reference a James Bond universe because ah. you have repeating characters there. Yeah. And even some of the newer Netflix series and movies are trying to create a franchise. In fact, in, in India, the YRF spy universe, which is where we get the raw agents and we get movies uh, around okay. Tiger. And um, I think Patan was one of these is they're trying to create a spy universe in the Indian movie marketplace. Right. And I think it works because in something like Patan, there was a cameo for this character called Tiger, who was a big spy agent in Indian movies. So it's nice to see some of that. You get a little bit of familiarity and may want you to go to the next version of the next movie because it's like, okay, well, what are they pulling from the other yeah, there you arcs? Go. Same stuff. Absolutely. All right. But at the same time, we've got diversity in the genres within the genre. So superhero yeah. movies have diversified in terms of genre incorporating elements of action, drama, and comedy, allowing the filmmakers to create a broad range of audience preferences. You'll get somebody who likes one genre and somebody else who doesn't like that one, but they like a different one. And people can go where they want to go. In spy movies, we do a lot of the same. Action, drama, comedy, stunts, gadgets, and technologies. And it sounds like the superheroes in the comic books may have been a secret blueprint for spy movies. There you go. I'm telling you. We're we're making this connection that I think is absolutely true. You're saying it's not a tenuous connection? I don't know if it's ever been made before. I don't know if it's ever been made before, <laughs> but here, all right, look at the source material. We're talking about this, right? Superhero movies are often adapted from comic books, which have a rich and extensive history. The existing fan base for these comics provides a built-in audience for the film adaptations, and filmmakers can draw on these established storylines and characters for a while, at least. This is a great outline for writers of superhero movies. And heck, lots of spy movies came from the pages of novels, not comic books, but books, just the same. And with the same types of things we're talking about here in terms of characters, global impact, the whole concept of resolving main big issues worldwide. Oh, man. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, let's see. Let me think of a spy movie that might have come, a series that came from a book. Oh, yeah, James Bond. <laughs> now, yeah, not only came from the book, but the characters. All the stuff we're talking about here with superheroes, it's all in spy movie stuff. Well, and something we talked about in the spy movie stuff, too, was the global appeal, right? Because of the global yeah. locations and everything. And superhero themes often transcend cultural boundaries, right? I mean, absolutely. we've got heroism, justice, the struggle between good and evil. Yeah. And that that resonates. It doesn't really matter where you are in the world. Those themes are going to resonate with you. And I think helps give the global success to superhero movies because I think those themes hit everybody. Yeah. And, once, and again, once again, yeah, what about can, the spy movies? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, James Bond, Ethan Hunt, they <laughs> appeal to audiences around the world for very much the same reasons. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and marketing and merchandising. I mean, geez. The marketing strategies for superhero movies are often extensive, building anticipation through trailers, merchandising, and promotional events, of course. This approach helps generate widespread interest and excitement leading up to the film's release. The big spy movie franchises were good at that, too, for a while, anyway. Lately, not so much. Uh, but they do merchandise well with licensed products and product placement fees and so on. Well, so I, I think if you look at some of the recent superhero movies, though, too, you mentioned that not so much on the spy movies recently, there's almost been an oversaturation. So this marketing and merchandising is actually becoming harder to do. It, it, yeah, in a sense it is. And then, but then again, you know, we, we haven't been the, the theater stuff for a long time because of COVID and all that. I've so been going would the be whole easier. time, Dan. Huh? I've been going the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in general, the audience, especially in the in back. the height of fact, COVID, we're not back yet. We're still height, not back. In the height of COVID, I was often the only person in the theater. Now I just went to the Indian movie Devil, and there were there were twelve of us in the movie theater. So, yeah. You know, and more people should see that movie. It's it's a good one. <laughs> All right, let's look back at superhero movies again. They've also been very good at inclusivity and representation. Recent superhero movies have made efforts to be inclusive and diverse in terms of both characters and audiences. And this inclusivity has resonated with viewers who appreciate seeing a broader range of perspectives and representation on the screen. This is just smart marketing, of course. Hey, who's going to buy what? We got to make that. But it's easier to do with comic heroes. We've all witnessed the struggles that James Bond has gone through to remain relevant and to change with the times. It's hard. And sometimes... Uh, you know, their change has been to the dismay of long life fans, but that's again, the concept. All right. Social and cultural relevance. I mean, this is present day issues always find their way into, into movies. Like we said, especially superhero movies, whose stories often reflect and respond to current social and cultural issues. They run with themes of identity, power, responsibility, teamwork, all that kind of stuff explored in ways that can resonate with viewers on a much deeper and more human level. This is brilliant. They can write anything they want, tie into current real world issues and make the viewer feel that the theme, the goodness that will win out is even more meaningful to them than this comic story. Wow. So this is all good. The spy movies are doing the same thing. Absolutely the same thing. Sometimes not as successfully as the superhero movies, but again, the combination of compelling storyline, technical advances, all the stuff we talked about, and now we're seeing this big resurgence of the comic heroes in a big way today. And we see how many of the same attributes, characteristics, appeal design, blueprint, all that kind of stuff are also found in spy movies. So, so come on, Ian, take a look at Marvel and see what to do next. <laughs> well, actually, one of the things Ian's doing inadvertently, I think is, I'm going to use the word smart, but it's, it's an accent because they screwed themselves. But the length of time between these movies, I think, helps. I mean, I think it's gotten too long. But when you look at these superhero movies, there's so many and they come so often. I think it's harder to keep marketing it. Where when you have a spy movie, and let's say you had a franchise that could somehow deliver a new spy movie every other year, not every six years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you could do that kind of a cadence, you're not going to get an oversaturation. Or I think that the superhero movies have kind of overdone it. And yeah, they're still making a lot of money, though. Well, not all of them. And the, the, most, the most recent ones aren't. 
And I and you hear the studios talking about we got to pull back. We got way ahead of ourselves. We saw a money making opportunity, so we overdid it. And I think that they're going to pull back a little bit, which I think is a good thing because one I think one of the benefits of a spy movie franchise is it does take time to get because you've got one actor as your lead spy where you can be, you could be making multiple superhero movies at the same time. You can't really do that with a spy movie. And I think that time helps the, Oh, I want to see what the next one is. It's not, I'm getting a new one every six months and I'm oversaturated. Yeah. But I think the struggle also is the theaters. I mean, that was traditionally where they made big, big bucks on the theaters. Now you got streaming, you got all these other ways of trying to make money and the struggle is there. They're still struggling with that with that bridge of trying to bridge the the gap between what's going on in theaters and what's going on with streaming and so on and trying to make money out of all this kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons I think that sometimes it's a struggle to make money, but some of these have done great, right? No time to die did 774 million mission impossible. This is 567 million. Some of the superhero movies, Avengers Endgame, and so on made 800 million. I mean, these they're making money, but again, as th- things go on and you don't see that return to the theater still, the which was the main way they made money, the struggle will continue. But we see here the genre of spy films uh, usually rolled up in the action-adventure movies is still strong. We see Amazon, Netflix, Prime, all trying to create the next Bond or at least compete with Bond and maybe fill in the blanks while we wait who knows how long for the next Bond movie. You know, Mission Impossible jumped all over Bond, and, they, and they're delaying releases. And it's really the only theatrical releasing movie franchise that competes with Bond on the international box office numbers. So the genre is still alive and relatively well. But so far, outside of James Bond and Mission Impossible, the next super franchise, Spy, is still not yet defined. So we're going to see this continue. We've seen the impact of um, the superheroes on Spy movies. <laughs> so Dan, what you're saying is this episode started out about why spy movies are so popular and yep. we kind of morphed it into how it, the spy movies kind of borrowed, if you will, from the superhero world yeah. and tied that all together. So as we go forward, we know that the actor strike and COVID screwed up all the release schedules, yeah. but these things should be back and you're starting, you're seeing more of them on Netflix now. And yep. so pay attention to the streaming platforms, slow horses on Apple. I mean, there's definitely places for you to get your spy action fix while we're waiting for these franchises to catch up with what's happened to the industry. So there you go. All right. That's a wrap. We've solved it all. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Dan and Tom of spymovienavigator.com and our show cracking the code of spy movies. Want to be on our show? Send us an email at info at spymovienavigator.com about what you'd like to talk about and why you're good at it. In the meantime, subscribe to our show. Thanks for listening. Tom and I appreciate you spending time with us. And Happy New Year.